0: And so we've been in this message series where we're talking about change and transformation. I mean, that's, that's really what we're about, isn't it? We're about preaching the gospel message and watching that gospel message take hold in people's lives and watching them change. And we've said that, that there's this process all through this series. We've spent all these weeks looking at this process of change. And we've said that, that really what we want to see is, is people begin to think like Jesus. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed any longer by the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and so people begin to think like Jesus and then they they start acting like Jesus and then they become like Jesus. Randy Frazee uh, calls this the rotation of change and so you can see this this process we begin to think like Jesus we then begin to act like Jesus and finally we begin to become more and more like Jesus. And yet we all know in this room, don't we, that change, that transformation really is a kind of a difficult thing. But as I begin to think about how we would end this message series called Believe, this message series on discipleship and transformation, I realized there was one other big idea that we needed to talk about, because if we don't understand this big idea, I'm convinced we will become people who are more and more frustrated. And for some of you in this room, the word frustration is a word that best characterizes your spiritual life right now. There are even people, maybe some people in the room right now, who for all practical intents and purposes have given up on the Christian life because you find it too difficult, too hard. And preachers like me can unwittingly add to your frustration by by preaching what I call a try-harder gospel. You show up like, like today, and maybe some of you are discouraged. Life's hard. Life's difficult. And what you hear from the sermon is, is, well, you just need to try a little harder. You need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And frankly, you've, you've been trying harder. And yet the same sin you've been dealing with all these years, you're still struggling with. The same patterns of behavior, you're still struggling with those same patterns of behavior. You're tired of struggling with all of that. And so instead of peace and joy, the words frustration, maybe even exhaustion, more adequately describe your relationship with the Lord. And so some of you have given up altogether. Oh, you haven't given up coming to church. You you still drag yourself here. You haven't given up being a part of a class or whatever. You're, you're still a part of that. But quite honestly, you, you've you given up. You, you mumble through the songs. You stay, you come and listen to a sermon, but honestly, your mind is somewhere else when the preacher is preaching. You've given up on the Christian way of life because you can't take the pain of failing, of not measuring up any longer. It's just too hard. Would it surprise you to know that there is a a key biblical character who felt the same way? Would it surprise you to know that there's a a Christian leader who wrote more New Testament books than any other writer, and at one point in his life he felt that same sense of frustration and struggle as he tried to live up to the standard, as as he was trying to keep the law And he was so frustrated in his life that he almost wanted to to, to, to just give up altogether. We read this person's story in Romans chapter 7. Paul is reflecting there on what it's like as he tries to live up to the law, as he tries to live up to these standards. He tried to be obedient to the law. And you can hear the frustration in his tone as we read Passages like Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Listen to Paul's words. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me have you ever been in paul's position the very thing you hate you do you just can't stop you can't live up to the standard and and paul says it's like there's this power that's work at work in your life he calls it sin now most often we think of sin as something external to us we think of sin as something we do that's wrong but but paul said oh no it's it's much more like it's a power that's at work in my life and in my heart You know what the standard is. You know what the right thing is. You just can't seem to do it. You can't seem to live up to the law. And so Paul said, oh, what a wretched man I am. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was driving through a school zone, and I was being very careful, mind you, very careful not to go above the speed limit. I don't know how serious that is. I was coming down Leeville Pike toward the church. I was getting ready to come through the Winfrey Bryant school zone, so I checked my speed. We're good. And, and as I'm traveling along, my, my phone begins to ring. My, phone is, my cell phone's in the other seat. It begins to ring, and I look over at it, and lo and behold, it's, it's my wife, Jana. Well, i got to answer that call, right? I mean, if Jana called. Just so I've reached over, and I, I, I talked to Jana. How, how, how are you doing? We're having this conversation. And So I'm coming through the, the, the school zone, and lo and behold, I see a police officer behind me with blue lights. And I think to myself, can you imagine that? Somebody's speeding, and he's going to pull that person over. So I turn into the College Hills parking lot, and would you believe that police officer pulls up behind me? I I put the phone down immediately. I roll my window down. He gets out, this police officer gets out, begins to walk over to my window. About that time... Two of my members, Pete and Debbie Heckman, they come driving by. Pete does this double take. He's looking at his law-breaking preacher. And the officer says something like, uh, "Sir, is there a, was there some emergency or some urgent need why you felt like you needed to talk on your phone in a school zone?" I said, "Well, officer, I'm a minister." and I said, I just got a phone call from a very distraught member who needed a whole lot of counsel. <laughs> Actually, I didn't say that. I didn't say You'd be proud of me. I did not say that. Everything within me wanted to say that, wanted to come up with a reason why it was good for me to be on this cell phone during a school zone. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the, but our law enforcement officers are very... Are very uh, 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 Sensitive about talking on the phone in in a school zone. And so he he heard my story and he walked back and he wrote me a ticket. You see, law reminds me of what I already know. I am a lawbreaker. And that's what Romans chapter 7 teaches. You You may feel like me that we can break the law so easily, often without even realizing it. And you do this time after time, and and it leads to a a sense of frustration. And so this morning, you may be able to sympathize a little bit with Paul. What I want to do, I do not do. What I hate, he says, that is what I do. And so as I said, this, this idea of living up to the standard, of living up to the law, created such a frustration in Paul that he said, what a wretched man I am. Romans chapter 7 and verse 24. He feels like giving up, and then he says... In the very next breath but thanks be to God he says who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord he needed to be rescued he needed to be delivered and Jesus Christ is the only person capable of doing this because he was the only one who lived up to that standard perfectly Now here's a very subtle, but a very important point that I want to make this morning, and it's made all through Scripture. And if you understand this point, you'll understand what I'm trying to drive at in this sermon. And I'm convinced that if you understand this next idea, it can have the power to revolutionize your Christian life. The power to live the Christian life is not you, but Christ in you. You can't live up to it. It's not you, but it's Christ in you. And we find this idea all through scripture. Romans chapter five and verse eight, Paul says in that passage, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And often we stop right there. We stop without reading verse ten, because in verse ten it says this, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, notice How much more? How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved? How? Through His life. We're saved through His life. Not our life, not our ability to live up to the law. We're saved through His life. Jesus Christ is alive at this moment. And He's not standing beside us. He's not standing near us. As we're going to see, it's made even more explicit in Galatians 2, verse 20. No, He is in us. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but what? But Christ lives in me. The power to live the Christian life is not you, but Christ in you. I can't live up to the standard. And the more I try, the more I struggle, the more exhausted I feel. And so instead of the exhausted life, I want to live the exchanged life. Instead of feeling exhausted, I, I, want, I-, I want to live this uh, truth that Jesus Christ is living in me. At our Thanksgiving service this past Wednesday evening, it was a great, great gathering. Uh, one of the passages we read was First Thessalonians chapter 5, and I-, I love that passage. And in staccato-like fashion, Paul lists all these commands... All these things we're to do, like, he says, we're to live in peace with everyone. We're to warn those who are idle and disruptive. He says, help the weak. Be patient with, uh, with everyone. On and on he goes. And then he says, the verses we read just a moment ago in our service earlier, he says, um, uh, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Reject every kind of evil. I, I listened to that list. And I think, Paul, I don't know if I can do that. That's a lot of stuff. I mean, that's a tall order. Uh, Give thanks in all circumstances. Reject every kind of evil. I missed the verse at the very end. I read it for you a little while ago in the opening, and, and I bet you missed it too. But I'm telling you, the verse at the end of this reading can revolutionize your life. Paul finally says at the end of that list, the one who calls you is faithful and I will then have the power to be able to do it. No, the one who calls you is faithful in what? He will do it. You see, the Lord only asked one thing of me. He didn't ask 15 things, 18 things, 25 things. He asks just one. And that one thing he asks is that I submit my life to him. I give my heart to Jesus. I submit to him, and then it says, he will do it. Isn't that liberating? Isn't that wonderful? I want to move from the exhausted life. I want to move to the exchanged life. And so here's the question. The question is, how is Jesus made alive in us? We read Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me how does that happen and i want to tell you this morning that christ is made alive in us through the holy spirit the holy spirit is the presence of christ made manifest in us and this brings us to that beautiful passage that roger read for us a few moments ago romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 and we've got 10 minutes and i'm only going to take 10 minutes But friends, I could preach the next 10 hours on Romans chapter 8, listing these beautiful things that we see in this passage about about what it means to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. He makes Christ manifest in our lives. This is how Paul puts it in verse 9 of Romans 8. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. There's a close relationship between Christ and the Holy Spirit and us. Jesus lives in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Let me illustrate this in a very simple way so that every one of us in this room can understand this idea. So when we're washed clean by Jesus through his blood, you, you are like this, this glove. You're a lot like this glove. A glove really can't do anything on its own, can it? This glove can't, can't do a single thing. I mean, it just, it just sits there on that box of cereal. Can't do a thing until this glove is filled up with my hand. And when this glove is filled up with my hand, this glove can do a lot of things. This glove is very useful. And our lives are, are like that. We really can't do much uh, for Jesus until we are filled up with the Holy Spirit of God. And according to Acts chapter two and verse thirty eight, and I never understood the second half of Acts two thirty eight, the whole life my whole life growing up in the churches of Christ. I heard repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and I knew that when I did that I received the forgiveness of sins, period. But you'll notice every time I have the privilege of baptizing someone back here, you'll notice that I quote the entire verse because the second half of that verse is very important too. Not only are our sins washed away, but friends, we receive a beautiful gift. And that gift is none other than God himself who comes to live in us by his Holy Spirit. He says, and you will receive what? The gift of the Spirit. Paul would say it like this in the book of Ephesians. He says, be what? Filled with the Spirit. And so what does this mean practically speaking? Let me give you three things quickly. This means, first of all, that as the Holy Spirit fills us up, the Holy Spirit will help us act, think, and be more and more like Jesus. Look at Romans 8, verse 14. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh, to live according to it. If you do, it says you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the bodies, you will live. You see, when we're filled up with the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God empowers us to really live, to have life. The Holy Spirit empowers us to say no, to put to death. That's pretty stark language, isn't it? To put to death the misdeeds of the body. But there's more. Look at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit, notice, are the children of God. You see, the Spirit leads us. Notice the Spirit does not force us. The Spirit does not coerce us. No, the Spirit, the Spirit gently leads us. We we follow the Spirit's leading and guidance as we read His Word, as we hear and take seriously the preaching of that Word. We Listen for the Spirit's gentle prodding, in, gentle internal prodding. The Spirit will lead us and he, as He does. He doesn't lead us to do crazy things. No, He leads us to become more and more like Jesus. There's a third thing. If you're filled up with the Spirit, you have a spirit of confidence, not fear. Notice verse 15, which says, The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear Again, I know I'm operating in the realm of the flesh when I'm operating more out of fear than faith and confidence. I told you before that this last year, one of the things I decided to do is I wanted to live in the Gospels, and I have. Most every day of this year, I've spent time reading a chapter out of the Gospels. I'm in in my fifth reading through the Gospels. And one of the things I've noticed so often is Jesus will say continually, Do not be afraid. So often we're fearful. We're fearful for our kids. Uh, We're fearful for our country. Uh, We're fearful for, uh, you know, our job. Uh, We're fearful for our health. There's so many things that make us fear. When we're operating in fear, brothers and sisters, we're operating by the flesh. When the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, that gives us a sense of confidence. I don't know how things are going to work out in the future. I don't. But I know Romans eight thirty one, where, where where Paul says, "If God be for us, who can be against us?" I know Second Timothy chapter one and verse seven, where Paul says, "For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of self control." I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I know, I know Romans chapter eight, in verse thirty seven. Where Paul says, in all these things, we are more. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. One more thing. When we're filled up with the Spirit, when the Spirit is living in us, one more thing, and that is, um, it creates within us a sense of intimacy with God. Notice verse 15, where it says, a spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, And by Him, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. That image of adoption is beautiful. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts, there's not a distance, a separation. No, there's a a closeness. We we are sons and daughters of God. We are adopted in His family. We have a seat at the table. God is now our Father. And what do we do? We cry out, Abba, Father. I remember when my boys were little bitty one of the sweetest sounds I would, my wife and I would ever hear was when they were starting to talk. Parents, you remember what that was like when your kids are, are first starting to put words together and at some point in time, one of my boys looked at me with those big blue eyes that, with that toothless grin and said to me, "Dad, da 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 and I said to my wife, he said, daddy first, did you hear that? But that was sweet and precious. Da da, da da. By the Spirit, we call out to God, Abba. That's an Aramaic word that means Papa, Daddy. John Fountain is a professor of journalism from the University of Illinois. And a while back, he shared on National Public Radio his testimony. What a spiritual thing! and I want to read you what he said because it makes this point so brilliantly, I think. He says, I believe in God. Not that cosmic and tangible spirit in the sky that Mama told me as a little boy always was and always will be, but the God who embraced me when when Daddy disappeared from our lives, from my life at age four. The night police led him down the stairs away from our front door in handcuffs. The God who warmed me when we could see our breath inside our freezing apartment, when the gas was disconnected in the dead of another wind-whipped Chicago winter, and there was no food, little hope, and no hot water. The God who held my hand when I witnessed boys in my hood swallowed by the elements, by death and by hopelessness, who claimed me when I felt like no man's son amid the absence of any man to wrap his arms around me and tell me everything's going to be okay, or to speak proudly of me and call me me son. I believe in God, God the Father embodied in, in his son, Jesus Christ, the God who allowed me to feel his presence, whether by the warmth that filled my belly like hot chocolate on a cold afternoon, or that voice whenever I heard myself in the tempest, in the tempest of life's telling me, even when I was told I was nothing, that I was something, that I was his, that even amid the desertion of the man who gave me his name and DNA and little else, I might find Him, find in him sustenance. I believe in God, the God who I came to know as Father, as Abba, as Daddy. It wasn't until many years later, standing over my father's grave for a conversation long overdue that my tears flowed. And I told him about the man I'd become. I told him about how much I wished he had been in my life. And I realized fully that in his absence, I had found another. Or that he, God the Father, God my Father, had found me. Now the truth is this. Regardless of the kind of earthly father and mother you've had. Every person in this room and every person on the planet has a need for intimacy with God. And God comes to dwell in your heart by His Spirit. The power of the Christian life is not you power to live the Christian life is Christ in you and the presence of Christ is made manifest in you by the Holy Spirit and so here's what I know today today if you'll come to Jesus if you'll walk down front and if you are willing to repent of your sins and confess Jesus and be baptized in Jesus name what I want you to know is not only are your sins washed away, everything in that past, whatever it is you did you're ashamed of, whatever it is you've done in the past, that's all washed away. But not only, not only that, the Holy Spirit will come to indwell you, to fill you, and He will empower you to live for Jesus. Uh, not to try harder gospel. Oh, no. It's not that I, I become exhausted in all my efforts I'm trusting the one who lived up to the law, who lived up to the standards, and now he lives in me by his Spirit.